All right, today we're going to be in the book of Romans. If you'd like to, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we're going to start verses 6 through 8. We'll spend most of our time here today. We'll go a few other passages, but hopefully you can follow along well. Love has come in Jesus. That's the title today. Love has come in Jesus. Very simple, hopefully a very clear gospel message today. You can follow along with one of the most famous verses of the Romans road. Romans 5, 8 is in our text today as well. So let's start together in verse 6, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. The Word of God says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I hope you will hear the, the Lord today. I'm trying to find the navigate the right tone today. I don't want to be angry, and I don't want to be completely self-abasing, but I want to be honest before the Lord. We had a good Sunday school lesson today, and I think one of the biggest issues that we have to come to grips with in our current culture is the idea of sin. People do not think they're sinners. And if you don't think you're a sinner, you don't need a savior, right? That's where we are. And so we're going to work our way through some passages today and some words of the Lord. And I pray that for me and for you, that the Lord would guide us, that we would get a real grip of our own sinfulness and then of his forgiveness. And then also how we might help people come to the same thing. It'll have to be the Lord's doing, but what our part would be in that. I want to start off first with a, a story here from Michael Reagan. <clears throat> Michael Reagan received many gifts from his father, President Ronald Reagan, but at the 40th president's sunset funeral, Michael described the greatest gift a child can receive. I was so proud to have the Reagan name and to be Ronald Reagan's son. What a great honor. He gave me a lot of gifts as a child, gave me a horse, gave me a car, gave me a lot of things. <laughs> But there's a gift he gave me that I think is wonderful for every father to give his son. Last Saturday, when he opened his eyes for the last time, that's when I realized the gift that he gave to me. That gift was he was going to be with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He had, back in 1988, on a flight from D.C. to Point Magoo, told me about his love of God, his love of Christ as his Savior, I didn't know what it all meant, but I certainly, certainly know now. I can't think of a better gift for a father to give a son, and I hope to honor my father by giving my son Cameron and my daughter Ashley that very same gift he gave to me, knowing where he is this very moment, this very day that he is in heaven, I can only promise my father this. Dad, when I go, I will go to heaven too, and you and I and my sister Maureen, who went before us, will dance with the heavenly host of angels before the presence of God 
we will do it melanoma and Alzheimer's free. Isn't that good? Uh, we had a father this week who gave his family one of the greatest gifts. I don't even know he knows how great it is. Uh, three years ago would be a different story, wouldn't it, right? Not today. A great gift was given, and the gift was, I'm going to pursue Jesus, and I'm going to know him, and I will be in heaven. You make sure that you're there with me. Love has come. Everyone within us, we have a need, and it probably is the greatest need of all, and that's the need to be what? To be loved, right? We have a need to eat. We have a need to sleep. We have need some time to laugh and cry. But I'm going to tell you, everybody in this room needs to be loved. It is so evident. And I'm here to speak this morning that God can meet this need. Hear it clearly today. God created you with this need. He knows exactly what you need. And most importantly, God loves you. I am very grateful myself that I have a loving earthly father, and he helped me to comprehend my heavenly father. Not everybody has that, right? So it's pretty awesome to me that I can learn a little bit about my heavenly father because of the way my earthly father behaved but not everybody has that opportunity. And so we have to display that and be that in the lives of some of the people that we love and know. I'm going to tell you this this morning. You may think this is strange. I would say that probably I can only remember two, maybe three times that my dad told me he loved me before I went to college. But I never doubted that he loved me because he displayed that love in his actions and his life. And here's what I want to remind you today. The scriptures show us the way to know the love of our heavenly father. Let's start with the, such a familiar truth and verse, but I think it lays the foundation. And that is that God's love reaches the world. You guys know the verse, John 3, 16. This one, I believe is the NIV. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, oh, this is King James, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves the world. Love has come, and we have got to declare that love. Musician Michael Card said this in an interview. He said, again and again in China, I talked to people who had never heard of Christianity, never heard of Jesus, never heard a single word from the Bible, yet through nature and their God-given conscience, many believed that there was a God. Not only did they believe that he existed, but they had derived some understanding about his loving character because he provided food and water and a beautiful world. One old woman told me I've known him for years. I just didn't know his name. And that's why we need the gospel to go out. The Lord says his invisible qualities have been made known throughout the earth, but we need the gospel to go so that people can know the name of God, his name as Jesus. Before a person ever hears of the cross of Christ, which is the greatest gift given to man, they can see from the world a generous and a loving creator, if only they will look up. Do you guys look up? We had this lady in our church in Illinois. Her name was Rita. And Rita was an incredible gardener and flower person. And if Rita, if you ever heard her read, like she, we basically nominated her as the all-time scripture reader. <laughs> Because she would start to read and everybody would be like, it's amazing. I never heard it like that. 
But Rita taught me something that I have a hard time doing. I always like to get from point A to B. Amen? It's not about the journey. It's about the destination, right? Let's get there. Let's go. Let's do. What do we got to accomplish? Let's check off the box. Are there any other box checkers here? I did it. I accomplished it. I checked it off, right? And what Rita would say to me is, preacher, you need to look up. Can you drive when you're looking up? You could try. <laughs> Can you walk when you're looking up? That could be dangerous, right? What happens when you look up? What do you usually have to do when you look up? You have to stop. You have to be still. You have to acknowledge. You have to recognize. And this truth is here to us today. We need, especially at this season, to look up. I encourage you today to see that love has come, to see the things that God has done. We have to look up and we have to help other people take a pause and look up that they might see the grace of God that has been bestowed upon them. And in this sense, this, this idea of God's generosity in the world that he has given us, he gives grace to sinners and saints alike. We are all the recipients in that sense of God's goodness. And another truth that we can declare clearly as free will Baptists today, God's love extends to all people. Amen? It's not just for a few. It's not just for a certain amount of elect. God's love is for the whole world. And that's what the scripture teaches us today. Let that mind be in you that love has come. His love is so far reaching and his desire for us to find him is so true. We see it again, even in the scripture. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness, but instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance what is god's desire what is his desire is it a white picket fence is it two cars and a two-story house can i be really hard here a little bit is it a nice little family What is God's desire? This is really strong. Please don't, again, don't listen to me. Listen to the Lord today. God's desire is he does not want you to perish. He wants you to find redemption and reconciliation. And if you will find that, that will be the most precious thing you will ever hold. I love my family. I would be devastated without them. But I'd be more devastated without Jesus. You listen to the Lord today. The most important thing is that we be reconciled to him. It doesn't matter where you're from or what you've done. God loves you and desires a relationship with you. Do you believe that? I'm going to test you here in a minute because I'm not sure you do. I'm going to push it on you just a little bit. Let's go back to our Romans passage today. We'll focus there, make our way through this incredible truth that God showed his love in Jesus. First thing, God's love is poured out through his Holy Spirit. Look in verse five of Romans chapter five. And hope does not put us to shame or does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
as we submit ourselves to the Lord, as we cleanse our hearts from sin and offer our hands and our feet as instruments of righteousness, God's spirit fills us up and his love is evidence. That's the best place to be. But it requires a surrendered heart to live and to, to live and to be in that space. Again, this process is brought about God, by God's Holy Spirit. And there are some things that maybe you've experienced and you might tell people if it happens to you, you'll know. Have you ever had that? How you know if you're in love? How you know if this is the right one? What is the usually, usual answer? Right? Joe, was it when, how did you know Kim was the right one? Because the food was really good? <laughs> no. <laughs> you just know, right? That's the answer we give. But it's, it sounds so trite, doesn't it? But really, when you've been there, what is it? It's true, isn't it, right? It's true. How many of you have experienced the love of God? <laughs> Do you know? Right? You know. Some people might say, I don't know if I've experienced the love of God. Well, then you haven't. Because if you've experienced the love of God, what happens? You're never the same. You're completely changed. Your heart, your mindset, your direction, your hope, your future, your father, it's all different when you know the love of God. Now, they're hard days sometimes, right? We're not denying the hard days. We're not denying the struggle, but we know the love. And I want to tell you today, you guys, there's so many people that don't know the love of Jesus. We've got to be that love to them. Pray for your preacher. I was struggling. Brooklyn and I, we probably did the worst thing you should ever do on the eve before Christmas Eve. We went to the mall. I was so glad Brooklyn was with me. It was fun to be with her, but all the bustle and the crazy. And then I should not go into women's makeup stores. That's just something a preacher should not do. Because I'm like, my heart, I was just struggling within me because that judgmental side was coming out in me. It, you guys, I'm just going to tell you right up front, this is one of the hardest things for me as I just cannot deal with makeup on a guy. Okay? But at the same time, I know that the people in that place, what do they need? Some of them, I'm sure some of the ladies, they already know Jesus and they love Jesus, but I also know there's some ladies and some place, guys in that, those places, they don't know that love, do they? They don't need somebody coming up and screaming and yelling at them or being sticking up their nose at them or thinking they're better than them. What do they need? They need the love of Jesus. Amen. So the Lord was written. He was convicting me in that, that place in that time. If you experience God's love, you will know. It's a spiritual thing. God pouring his love into your hearts by his spirit. And when you have experienced it, you have to respond. So we were at Emily Petty's wedding. I wish I could have more time to tell you about all my friends, but uh, when we were in Illinois, I grew up in Camp City. Well, first off, I went to a Decatur church, and there's these uh, young ladies there. They were the Razor girls, and one of them, her name is Elizabeth. If you ever got to meet Elizabeth Razor, she's an incredible woman's Bible study teacher. She's a great worship leader. She loves to sing. She loves to praise the Lord. Probably smiles more than I do when I'm singing. Then this lady that got to work with us when we were in Illinois also helped us with worship. Her name was Tia. Tia plays guitar like a thousand miles an hour, way better than I do. She's a, a violinist. She's a music instructor there in Illinois. But what she loves to do is she loves to sing as well. We're at Emily Petty's wedding, and it's kind of like right at the, the 
end of the wedding, they're trying to have this really special moment and they start playing the song Gratitude. You know, we've sang it a few times here. And they start playing it and guess what Tia and I do? What does a worshiper do? They start worshiping, right? Tia starts singing and I start singing. And then Elizabeth's husband, who's also a worshiper, Brian, he starts singing and Elizabeth's like, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet. And we're singing a little louder and a little, and guess what Elizabeth starts doing? She starts singing too, right? And we have this beautiful harmony going right here at our table as we're singing, all I have is a hallelujah to the Lord. It was so amazing until Elizabeth said, Travis, you're singing my part. <laughs> but it was that moment that reminded me that people who are worshipers, what do they have to do? They worship right? It's not a rule. It's not a routine. It's not something that, oh, I've got to check this off today. It's, I have to respond to the goodness of God. I have nothing to give but a hallelujah. But anybody dare try to hold that back from me? You cannot, because I love him because he first loved me, right? Love has come. And this reminder comes that God pours it out through his Holy Spirit. If you want to know God's love today, it begins by repenting of your sins Surrendering your will to his, your kingdom to his, and your will, again, to God's will, that it would be done. When we surrender to God, he pours out his love into our hearts through his spirit, and you can see the change. And Christian, I'll remind you today, the need for the gospel doesn't stop the day you accept Jesus. Throughout the rest of our lives, we surrender to the will of God, and as we do, we see transformation. And then you will become what God intends for you to be. That's how God's love works. Here's a reminder today as well. God's love cannot be earned, right? You can't earn it. Verse six, you see at just the right time when we were still what? Powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Did Jesus come at the perfect time? <laughs> Absolutely, right? You guys know this again from history, just not to go too deep into it, but the language barrier was be being broken down. And I had to learn it for like seven years. Koine Greek was the language of the day and it was pervasive. It was the language of the, the fishermen, the language of the culture and everywhere Greek culture went, that language was going with it. Kind of almost like English has been around the world in our day. That was, was Greek in that day. The, they call it, you may have heard Pax Romana or the Roman peace was allowing widespread travel all throughout that part of the world. And with that travel, guess what happened? Well, when the traveling Christian carpet uh, guy was traveling, what was he taking with him? The gospel. When the tent maker was traveling, what was he taking with him? The gospel. When the shoemaker was traveling, what was he taking with him? The gospel. So you saw the gospel as it began to grow throughout all the world. And yet it, we see here at verse six, the time was perfect, just the right time when Jesus came. But at that time, Paul reminds us here in the book of Romans, we were still powerless. I, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure this out. You're going to have to let the Lord do this today. But I think we are in such a, a world and a culture today where nobody wants to admit that truth. I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad. I'm really a pretty good person. And I can lift myself up by my bootstraps when my life is done. I can declare the good that I've done. And nobody can declare that, you know, I was some sort of evil or wicked person. But the truth of the gospel is that 
we without Jesus are powerless. Have you ever been powerless and needed someone to help you? It's a terrible feeling in some respects, isn't it, right? And yet when someone comes to the rescue and helps you when you're powerless, what is that feeling? It's gratitude, isn't it, right? It's incredible, incredible love. The truth is that Jesus died for us. And again, notice who we are. First off, we are the powerless. And second, what are we? We are the ungodly. We're not God-like. We are the opposite of that. We are not like God. And again, I'm not trying to beat you down today in any way. Please don't get me that way. But we have to get people, the Lord has got to move in their hearts and we've got to expose this truth that we would see that without Jesus, we are not God-like. And we are destined for destruction and wrath and heartbreak and hurt and disappointment all without Jesus. We are powerless, but we are ungodly. And so as the Lord would allow, maybe it's just through reading a scripture, maybe it's through your own testimony, we've got to let people know that without Jesus, they're not close to being God-like. Again, and yet in the middle of this simple verse is this awesome truth powerless and godly and yet what did jesus do for us he died for us such a hard truth for our modern mind i think we are not innocent we are not genuinely good we are not genuinely kind we are ungodly by nature and destined for wrath if we do not find redemption look in verse 7 paul begins to kind of lay out this this path for redemption And he says, very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And I'm going to use some of my definitions here. So this is a little penology, but you check this out, okay? Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Do we have any righteous people in the room? So pen definition here, but I think what Paul was saying is this is the the law-abiding citizen, right? Do, Do you know some people that maybe they're not even Christians, maybe they are, but they just will not break the law. Do you know what I'm saying? If, if there's a sign that says, do not cross, they would never even think of getting past that. A lot of us, if we see a sign, we're like, yeah, let's see how it goes, right? The, the righteous person is that person. They're always gonna do the right thing. And you probably know some people like that. They're probably people pleasers. They've laid it out. And basically when you're with them, it's not the most fun thing because they're always just following every rule. Paul says, very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person. I kind of think of Pharisees in that regard, right? They checked all the boxes, but nobody, you know, when Jesus exposed them, they're like, yeah, I wouldn't die for a Pharisee. Though for what kind of person someone might dare to die? What's a good, good person? That's a person with real compassion and forgiveness and kindness in their heart. Do you know some people like that? I do. I know some people who genuinely, I would say, are good people. And depending on my mindset at the moment, depending on the situation, their circumstance, because of their goodness, because of their compassion, someone might be compelled that I would, be, I would take their place. Now, that's a big ask, isn't it, right? Would you die for a good person? You know, Some of you in service have already offered yourself to be whatever the commitment was. But here's the matter of choice. Would you actually give your life 
for someone who is kind and compassionate and good. Paul says someone might possibly dare to die. I really like King James here, peradventure. Don't you like that word? <laughs> Maybe just perchance somebody, you might find someone who would die. But look in verse 8. But God commendeth or he demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were perfect, beautiful people, Christ died for us. Amen? No. Are you getting it? Yeah. Not righteous. Not good. But what? You get nothing else today. Take that truth with you today and pray over it and meditate on it and see who you are as a sinner. And I think what it'll do is it'll create incredible gratitude in your heart but then see how it would work out in the lives of the people you love. And I'm not saying you're going to go to work or your family uh, Christmas gathering this week and say, you're all a bunch of sinners. <laughs> but if people don't come to the place where they can acknowledge their sin, they're never going to desire a saving. And that's the world we're in. So we have to speak the truth in love, all right? Again, we're not righteous or good. Hear me clearly. We are wicked without God. Wicked. God demonstrates, God proves, God shows. He makes known, he manifests, he commends his love when he gives up his son. His love is more than words, it is a demonstration. Again, super quick reminder, but God allowed his son to be spit upon, beaten, mocked, and hung on a tree for you. Do you think that God loves you? Love has come. Not only does God give up his son, but to me, this is the kicker. He gives up his son for sinners. Did you see the phrases we've used? The powerless, the ungodly, the sinners, and in just a little bit, the enemies of God. That's how we are described in this passage. God did not give up his son for the righteous or the good, but the sinners. I'm going to give you a little illustration here. You just I hope it carries the idea. It's not perfect, so bear with me. I want you to think about this with me. When you think of atrocities, there's a varying levels of atrocities, right? And to me, one of the, the most, the strongest atrocities we've seen in recent months was the Hamas kidnapping of Israeli people, right? Would you, could you kind of say that is wicked? I mean, these terrorists went in and again, I'm trying not to be super graphic, but they took little children and took their lives. They did terrible things to women. They did terrible things to old people. They did terrible things. They are wicked. And I don't know how Israeli government works, but let's just say that one of these Hamas terrorists surrendered to the Israeli, the IDF, the armed forces, and they brought them in to a trial. And as they sat on that trial and they laid out all the wicked things that they did, the judge said that this person is, is going to lose their life. We're going to destroy them because of the wickedness they did, except if one person would take their place, we will preserve their life. Here's the question. Would any of you take their place? Uh -uh. what do you say i want justice amen 
They did that terrible act. They deserve to die. I'm not taking their place. They need to be destroyed. There's no way I'm taking their place. Let me ask you the harder question, especially those of you who are parents today. How many of you would give up your son or your daughter to take the place of that terrorist? Are you crazy? Are you insane? But God demonstrated his love toward us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ, his son, died for us. Before we confessed, before we repented, before we showed any sign of humility in our sin, God in his love gave his only son to die for the wicked, that the wicked be restored if they would receive the gift. Wow. Does God love us? He does, doesn't he? Man, that is so powerful to me when I think about how God loves. We can be redeemed if we repent and accept the payment for sin found in Jesus. I hope you heard when uh, Sonny read the scripture today, that atoning sacrifice, that's the love of God. Jesus paid our penalty. Well, let's look briefly and we'll close here with God's love and how it is kindness to us. Ephesians chapter two, verse four. The scripture says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You just got to read it, right? <laughs> it's so good, isn't it, right? God loves you and he's expressed his mercy. He's expressed his kindness in his son. Again, we are dead in transgressions, dead in trespasses and sins. But through Jesus, we can find redemption. And that's my challenge to all of us today. Most of you I know today know the Lord. You have seen your wickedness. You have seen your ungodliness. You know you were powerless. And that's why you came to Jesus. And he changed you and redeemed you. But there's so many more people that need the gospel. We got to figure out how to connect and love with them and let the Lord use us for his glory. This is from Mark Batterson. I thought this was a great reminder to us all about the gift we've been given in Jesus. And I hope that you'll see this again, even as you head out of here today. On May 25th in 1979, Dennis Waitley was desperately trying to catch a flight from Chicago to LA. When he arrived at the gate, they had just closed the jetway and Dennis begged them to let him on the airplane. But no luck. Well, out of breath and out of patience, he made his way to the ticket counter to register a complaint and to rebook his travel. While he was waiting in line, an announcement came over the airport intercom. AA Flight 191 to Los Angeles had crashed upon takeoff. The engine on the left wing of that DC-10 separated from the airplane right after takeoff. The unbalanced aerodynamics caused the plane to roll, a roll from which it could not recover. All 271 people on hand died in that crash. It was the deadliest 
aviation accident in United States history. That near-death experience had a life-altering impact on Dennis Waitley. Had he been on time, it would have been the last day of his life. Needless to say, he never registered his complaint. In fact, he never returned his ticket for Flight 191. He took his paper ticket and put it in a visible place in his office. And on difficult days, the days when he felt like throwing in the towel, all it took was one glance at that ticket to regain perspective. That ticket was a constant reminder that every day is a gift. Today is a gift. You're not promised tomorrow. And my challenge is you've been gifted the love of Jesus. <laughs> but it's not a gift that you hang on to, is it, right? It's a gift you share. And I'm not promised tomorrow and you're not promised tomorrow. So let's go gift giving today. Let's go gift giving tonight. And any day the Lord gives us, let's give the gift of love that he so gave to us. Your life is worth so much because Jesus gave his life for your, yours. Love has come. Love is coming again. Don't miss it. If you've never truly repented of your sins and given your heart to Jesus, do it today. If you have been saved, be reminded that every day is a gift, a gift for you to give back to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loves you. Amen. Let's stand this morning. I believe Ida's going to come and play for us a little invitation. As she's coming, you guys, I think you you know an invitation is just, it's so much twofold most of the time. There's the part about your own heart. And today I want to I just speak clearly. Have you offered your heart to God? Does he own your heart? Uh, for an unbeliever today, if you would just simply say you're sorry for your sins, turn from them, recognize your sinfulness, receive the grace of Jesus, you will know the love that we all know that we are talking about. But Christian today, sometimes we start doing a checkoff list instead of truly surrendering our heart to the Lord. Maybe today God is speaking to you. He's renewing that love in you again that you, you first received when you received Jesus. And you just need once again to freshly give your heart to the Lord this day and say, God, you have my hands, you have my feet, you have my mouth, I have everything I have. Use the gift you have given to me to bless and to share with other people. And so if the Lord is speaking to you today, we just invite you uh, to come. And Sister Ida, plays. if you'd like to come, please do. Go ahead and bow your heads if you would at this time. And we'll have a little quiet moment here in just a little bit, and then we'll pray. But if you'd like to come, bring a friend, feel free to come and pray. And give yourself to the Lord today.